This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Kanyokahage Nation in Chashage, also known as Montreal, Quebec, the original lands of many First Nations, including the Kanyokahage of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, Huron-Wendat, Abenaki, and Anishinaabe. When we engage with and exist in digital spaces like this one right now, it's really important to think about the implications of the forces of colonialism that played such a huge part in shaping this kind of technology. The roots of so much of today's technology stem from colonial motives of surveillance and militarization and control. Understanding the ways in which technology isn't neutral and is in fact entrenched in systems of colonization is a really important process that we all should engage with in order to reflect on our own positionality in digital spaces. To learn what land you're on, go to native-land.ca. Hi everybody, welcome back. It's been a whole month, I think, since my last episode. Um, I wasn't expecting to take like basically the whole month of July off and then I ended up doing it because things just kept happening. Kept happening. Yeah, I am really happy and really excited to be back. I'm feeling ready to just like dive back into it. I've got a lot of fun and exciting ideas that I'm hopefully going to be making happen in the next little while. I had a really lovely break. I went home and I saw my mom and I spent time with a lot of loved ones and just took a step back from everything phone social media related, which was very much needed and something that I am still implementing in my life now that I'm back in the city and back into recording again. I, yeah, I've just made some decisions for myself that I think will be great for me. And um, yeah, I just wanted to share that little bit because it kind of goes along with what I'm going to be talking about today in today's episode, which is going to be all about reset routines, getting out of ruts, and how to lean into authenticity when social media dominates our lives. I've been doing so much thinking about this, especially ever since taking Instagram off my phone um, and only using it to connect on the lily pod or to like do like a couple check-ins on my personal account with like people. Um, And I'm gonna keep it that way just for like my own peace of mind and my own desire to just like not be on my phone. And it's gotten me thinking so much about how central social media is to the need for like a resetting and what I mean by that is like just the fact that we need breaks from social media at all shows us how not suited for our mental health it is and the irony behind that is that so much of the popular content that we see and there's a lot of it like this isn't this isn't the only thing but for me, a lot of the stuff that I see or I consume or I see pop up, whether it's on like YouTube or Instagram, I refuse to download TikTok and I will never download TikTok for the sole reason that I think it would destroy me. Um, the videos that I am always like recommended or that always pop up is stuff like reset routines and self-care Sundays and 
um, journaling prompts and stuff like that, that like maybe like on the surface is a sweet little idea to like encourage people to prioritize their mental health and organize their life and all of this stuff. But being bombarded with this like aestheticized, romanticized idea of mental health and of like what it looks like to be healthy um, is really damaging. And like a lot of the buzzwords that we see, reset routines have become really trendy because of all of these videos that sort of make it into an aesthetic, the like idea of the reset day with perfect sunshine lighting and fresh linen sheets and perfectly poured coffee or matcha lattes with this like really calm meditative music playing in the background. And it's like every other type of content that we're seeing, like it's very curated, it's very much about looking nice, it's about being appealing, it's about being attractive. But when we're internalizing that idea of like what it looks like to be healthy, what it looks like to have a happy and organized life, there's always going to be some level of comparison between what we're seeing on screen and what we see in our own lives when we look around. And I do think that these videos can be good for people. I do think that, like, they can motivate you to spend time reorganizing stuff and prioritizing what you want to work on in, like, your apartment or in your personal life. I do definitely like the idea of them. And, like, I've watched plenty of YouTube videos from people that I that I watch about reset routines and what they do to, like, get out of a rut and bring themselves back into their authenticity but like everything else, it is very performancey, and I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing either. Like I was wrapping my head around this theme um, in my planning for this episode, I was thinking about like the value of faking it till you make it, and like the sort of faking romanticizing your life so that you can kind of get your shit together. So like. Something I do all the time is, like, I feel very romantic when I'm, like, doing laundry or cleaning or reorganizing my cupboard or making, I don't know, little, like, to-do lists in my journal. And so I think, like, there is some value in sort of, like, faking that romantic ideal of these, like, domesticated um, tasks that you just, like, need to do in your life. So maybe there is something in faking it till you make it. But I also think there's a certain level of privilege with this, of being able to, like, take a whole day or even just, like, take an afternoon or a morning to do all of these things and, like, relax but get your shit together at the same time but do it in a way that's, like, looks nice like we're seeing in all these videos with everyone's perfectly poured coffee and their organized kitchen cupboards and their sparkly clean floors But it's also impossible to not compare our lives and our mental health to the curated performance that we're seeing on social media of people who are doing these reset routines and getting out of a rut when, like, our rut does not look anything like theirs. There's this theory called social comparison theory that was first introduced in 1954 um, by Leon Festinger. I don't know if I'm saying that name right, um, who is a psychologist who basically said that we make these comparisons between ourselves and others as a way of evaluating ourselves. So it's our way of making judgments of other people and then bouncing that back to ourselves. And we do this for our own protection. We do it to assess threats around us and ultimately just survive. 
And there are different types of comparisons. So there's upward and downward comparisons. And the effects of these types of comparisons depend on how we're taking in the information that's being presented to us. So if we see someone as superior to us in some way, but we still have some similarities or something to relate us together, then our self-esteem tends to go up because we're like, oh, I have something in common with this person that I see as very beautiful or very intelligent or very capable or talented. And that tends to motivate us, which also boosts our self-esteem. Or another way that this might happen is if we compare ourselves to someone we see as inferior. So if we think to ourselves, oh, this person isn't as good at singing as I am, or this person has the same hair color as me, but mine looks healthier. Or something else that we might do is to look up to people that we find superior and think like, wow, she's like prettier than I'll ever be. I'll never be that beautiful. Or focus on the quote-unquote negative things that we share with people that we see as inferior. So like, oh, that person got a shitty grade on this too. And if we continue to rely on this comparison for our sense of identity and self-worth, it can become really dangerous, especially on social media, to constantly be evaluating ourselves in relation to what we're seeing which is something that like we absolutely all do and I think that it's so subconscious sometimes that we don't realize until we're like sitting there on our phone feeling like absolute shit about ourselves. If you pay attention to where you tend to compare yourself most, whether it has to do with your job or your academic status or with your friends or on social media, you can kind of find the root of like where your expectations lie, like what you expect of yourself and what you assume other people expect of you. The other poignant thing about this is that we check social media in our downtime when we're more likely to be thinking about ourselves, we're more likely to be introspective, which just creates the perfect breeding ground for us to be absolutely miserable, but addicted to that feeling of scrolling through and comparing ourselves to all the people and all the things we're seeing on our screen. And this kind of comparison also makes us care about things that we might not care about outside the world of social media just because we're seeing it or we're seeing other people do it we think that we also need to be partaking in that it's like the always wanting what you don't have kind of thing and a lot goes into repairing this kind of mindset when it comes to comparison and obsessing over other people's lives or belongings or attributes But I think the best thing anyone can do is to just literally take it off your phone if you're finding it dominating your life. And also just doing check-ins with yourself before you even open the app, whatever app it is. Why am I choosing to go on this right now? Is this even a conscious decision or did my thumb just automatically go there when I unlocked my phone? But being disconnected from our gut, from our intuition when we're engaging in those digital spaces is really not a good place to be because that's when we start to slip into those comparison traps. And I want to connect this back to a question that I got for this episode about following intuition under capitalism. And that has to do with internalized systems, having limited money, having to work, and basically how do we follow our gut? How do we act on our gut 
when we're living with all of this shit packed into our brains because of conditioning. This is kind of what I was getting at with the idea of reset routines and having the privilege of being able to take a day off work or pampering yourself with skincare products or linen sheets. Like, this idea sounds so lovely, but when you try to implement it into your weekly or monthly reality, it might be harder to grasp depending on what your life looks like. If you have kids to take care of, if you have a job you have to work at seven days a week, if you're in debt. So I think that is a huge thing to be said when we're having this conversation about needing to reset and needing to have a day to just like erase everything and restart all over again. I think it's more realistic to think about ways that we can incorporate small little implementations of joy or of peace that will help make our life more grounded and feel more in tune with our intuition and our authentic selves rather than dedicating like a whole day or a whole weekend to resetting. Because realistically, for most of us, that's not really possible. Going back to the question of how to follow our intuition under capitalism, I think that those tiny things that we can incorporate into our decisions that we make every day, how we wake up and how we choose to approach the day makes all the difference. I really love this quote by Florence Given, what parts of your self-expression feel like a routine and what parts make you feel electric? And this can go beyond self-expression. This can go beyond makeup and fashion and body And our physical presentation, I think this can be a question that we ask ourselves in relation to what we eat, what we do during the day, what habits, what hobbies, how we speak to our friends, what we do with our friends, how we spend our time alone. I think all of these things have the potential to become routine, to become habitual, unconscious, kind of like just like scooting by not thinking consciously about what we're putting on or maybe thinking too much about what we're putting on because we're scared of how other people are perceiving us, meaning we don't even really know if that's what we want to wear, for example, because of conditioning having to do with gender and the idea of being desirable. We are so much more than objects of desire and objects of capitalism. We are electric, as Florence Gibbon says, And we need to ask ourselves what parts of ourselves make us feel that spark. Like what makes you sparkle? What lights you up from the inside out? And pay attention to those things and keep them close. Cherish them because those are the best things about you. Those are the most authentic parts of yourself, untouched by systems of power, untouched by conditioning. And they have so much power if you just harness them and bask in them every day. So I guess the answer to following intuition under capitalism is searching for the parts of ourselves that are untouched by conditioning, which I think you can find just by leaning into that curiosity that lies in your gut. I think one of the sweetest things you can do to deepen that relationship with your intuition is to just dip your toe into a little bit of every pool and listen to your body, your heart, your mind, your gut for what feels most fun and exciting and promising for who you feel like being that day or that week or that month or that life. 
It might not be possible to completely step away from the things that make us feel like we need a reset in the first place, whether it's our job or our school or responsibility, but there are certain things that we can implement to kind of balance it out and at least have things to come home to that feel connected to our intuition and that feel connected to that part of ourselves that is electric and sparkly. And, you know, I will always make the argument that if you want to enrich your relationship to your body, your sensuality, your intuition, throw on an epic playlist and boogie your little heart out. But who knows, maybe the things that make you sparkle are research about trees or mushrooms or fixing things around your house or making birdhouses or knitting, or sewing, or writing poems, or reading about space. Whatever those things are for you, those are the things that are going to save you in the end. I'm going to keep this episode short and sweet as a tiny little welcome back for me and for you. I am really excited to lean more into the things that feel exciting about this podcast and follow my own advice about staying away from the things that make me feel like I need a reset routine every week, um, and leaning into the sparkly things. I would love to hear what your sparkly things are if you feel like telling me, and I look forward to chatting with you very soon, and it definitely won't be another month, I promise. (laughs) Okay, thanks for sticking around. I'll talk to you soon. 